It's summer 2001, pre 9-11, the dawn of a new era, and America is still filled with innocence and optimism towards the future. You're headed to the mall with your family. There's a rainforest cafe there, a theme restaurant filled with giant animatronic replicas of endangered or nearly endangered species, crocodiles, gorillas, and exotic birds. There's plastic leaves and vines everywhere and a saltwater aquarium filled with all types of tropical fish. The fish are actually real, not plastic. And every 30 minutes, there's a rainstorm. Fog machines whir to life and you hear thunder booming and lightning crackling over the speakers. When dinner's over, you can take home all sorts of sacred relics, a plush snake, a twirly plastic straw cup in the shape of a tree frog, the cup, it's probably going to end up in the garbage a week or two later, but it'd bring you joy for a couple days. It was a simulacra of a world we all yearn for. The lush, untouched, primal jungle, complete with chocolate lava fudge cakes and screaming toddlers. A classic Y2K simulation of a slowly dying, and now rapidly dying, Amazon rainforest. Howdy everyone, I'm Isaac Hill, and this is Mystical America. Why in the name of Lord Shiva am I talking about the Rainforest Cafe? Because I think the Rainforest Cafe is secretly a great analogy for the New Age movement the New Age movement is like Rainforest Cafe because it's a form of spirituality that was, and is, for the most part, artificial. There's a genuine desire to connect to deeper truths, indigenous wisdom, quote-unquote Eastern religions, and Mother Nature, but now that much of that truth and wisdom has been lost to colonization and environmental destruction, we're left with plastic gorillas, crystals mined by children, and a CD of a white guy playing a didgeridoo. But on the flip side, there's something about Rainforest Cafe that kind of makes me smile, and I feel the same way about New Age spirituality. Maybe it's just nostalgia for a simpler time, but honestly, one of the reasons I chose to make this podcast was to give the New Age another glance. One of the most common critiques of New Age spirituality is that it's too loosely defined and devoid of genuine tradition. New Age spirituality is a product of postmodernity, and it's often cast as a spiritual mishmash of exotic cultural beliefs, self-help detritus, theosophical jibber-jabber, and something about Atlantis thrown in for good measure. However, it's also this looseness that made the New Age so ripe for eccentric and luminous visionaries. If you look behind the Dolphin Oracle cards and spiritual self-help books written by undiagnosed narcissists, you will find that there are those who used the freedom of the New Age era to paint the world with brilliant, fantastical colors. And while perhaps they were often misled or naive, ultimately they were artists whose canvas was time and space itself. 
One of these visionaries went by the name of Jose Arguelles. This episode is about him. Jose Arguelles was a man obsessed with the nature of time, and now, ironically, his work has mostly been lost to time. Such is the nature of things. Jose Arguelles was a man who could be called a prophet of the new age. He was not always an accurate prophet, mind you, but he was always an extremely fascinating and colorful one, nonetheless. Let's step back in time even further, 24 years before 2001. The year is 1987, and humanity was on the verge of a great cosmic shift. Or at least that's what the prophet Jose Arguelles had said. He called this shift harmonic convergence. It was to occur between August 16th and 17th, and he considered it to be a make-or-break moment for humanity and the collective consciousness. But more on that in a bit, I'd like to talk about Jose for a second. Born in 1939, the year of the spectral moon in Guadalajara, Mexico, Jose came from a long family line of artists, academics, and writers. Jose was a true bohemian and began experimenting with LSD in the early 60s. These psychedelic experiences would form the basis for his early career as a psychedelic painter and freewheeling professor. Arguelles' days of art critique and theory are not discussed nearly as often as his later projects and ambitions, but I have to give a quick shout out to his amazing book on aesthetic theory titled The Transformative Vision, Reflections on the Nature and History of Human Expression. See, Jose is, or was, a genuinely brilliant artist. If you're like me and you're someone who's obsessed with New Age visionary and psychedelic art aesthetics, then Arguelles really is someone worth studying. I picked up this book, The Transformative Vision, at a local used bookstore before I had any idea who the hell Arguelles was. And what I found inside was truly wild, a reminder of the spiritual and visionary potential for art, which has been mostly lost in an era of bananas taped to walls and whatever the fuck Jeff Koons is up to these days. I mean, we got monkey NFTs, that shit's pretty sick, but I digress. In this book, Jose rails against the shallowness of Pablo Picasso, offers songs of praise to the prophet William Blake, a figure who I would argue is actually a kindred spirit of Jose's, and examines the mad aesthetics of insane sex criminal turned mystic Adolf Wolfie. And in general, this book is about the transformative and visionary potential of art, hence the title. And so, yeah, I'm not gonna dwell on this too long, but I figured for your entertainment, I'll read this wonderful passage from the book. Uh, where Jose discusses his views of the one and only Pablo Picasso. Among those acclaimed for the wrong reasons is Pablo Picasso. No one more than Picasso typifies the externally gifted and skillful person who, having conquered a piece of territory, in this case, Cubism, becomes entrenched in that ingeniously conceived battleground. For all his vaunted modernism, 
Throughout his long life, Picasso remained the great academic joker. Self-consciously art historical, his works have meaning only within the context of European tradition, of which he was the final master. Raphael played with the forms of Greece, David and Ingress with the forms of Raphael, and Delacroix with the forms of Rubens, but Picasso played with them all, perfecting his own style, or series of styles, flaunting public decency yet titillating the public with his love life, adopting the pose of the political radical while leading a life of bourgeois comfort. Picasso became an institution in his own lifetime. He was the ultimate quote-unquote free artist. In providing everything, he demanded nothing, and so the public could buy him, have their fantasies played out, and continue to live their own sterile lives without really being changed or confronted. In exaggerating the significance of Picasso's art, establishment critics and historians have created a myth that conceals the void left by modern man's abdication of the creative spirit. As artist and as a microcosm of his civilization, Picasso exemplifies the captivity and complete control of psyche by techne. If there's any Picasso stands in the mystical America fan base, I apologize. Please don't shoot the messenger. Anyways, let's return to our regularly scheduled programming here at Mystical America. Eventually, Jose would find painting and the visual arts to be too flat, too bounded by the limits of space. The vastness of Jose's visions would far exceed the boundaries of even the world's largest canvas. The first of Jose's visions would occur sometime in 1953 while visiting his family in Mexico. It was there that his uncle Julio took him to see the great Mayan Pyramid of the Sun, Teotihuacan. While staring at the Great Pyramid, everything suddenly began to crystallize for Jose. There was this profound, deep-seated clarity that washed over him, and soon visions of the mystical splendor of ancient Teotihuacan began to arise. As the visions slowly subsided, Jose knew that his sole destiny was to bring back the knowledge of the masters who had built these great Central American pyramids. So for decades afterwards, Jose would dedicate his time to unraveling the mysteries of the Mayan calendar. His study of Mayan timekeeping eventually led him to believe that the majority of our issues, whether they were war or environmental destruction, were the result of our distorted relationship to time. To Jose, the Gregorian calendar and the Einsteinian view of time which had come to dominate the culture were bastardized fabrications at best, and downright destructive at worst. Jose thought that the way we currently viewed time was artificial, out of touch with nature, the cosmos, spirit, and God. Arguelles struggled for years to find a solution to our flawed perception of time. One day a great revelation came as they would many times in Jose's life. The true nature of time was finally revealed to Jose. Aptly, he simply called this great revelation the law of time.
Good afternoon, and uh, I have to say it's been a, a very, very interesting and long journey. I would that it, would that it had been seven weeks, but it's just been uh, seven days here, and um, my responsibility has been to communicate to you the the at least the basic aspects and principles of the law of time, the you know, comprehension um, that because we have been living in a distorted time frame, as it were, the 1260 artificial time frame, that we could not understand the true nature of time, that the true nature of time could only come through a series of, of revelations, because revelation is what breaks through the conditioned mindset. And so only by breaking through the conditioned mindset can we begin to have some understanding of what is meant by the law of time, that uh, we're dealing with different orders of time, the cyclic order of time, uh, the synchronic order of time, that time is the fourth dimension, that time uh, is a form of information biology, that there are absolutely uh, perfect um, harmonics of time by which the biology of the universe is regulated as a, as a form of uh, continuously recirculating information and that uh, through uh, to understand all of this that the, the revelations of the law of time have uh, been all based on the restoration of the natural biological cosmic cycle the bio solar telepathic cycle of 28 days um, 13 times a year, which is a reflection of the moon going around the earth 13 times as the earth orbits the sun um, once, and that this also is a cycle that we find uh, in the rotation of the sun itself on its axis, that uh, at a mean point just north and south of the equator it turns 28, uh, it turns once every 28 days. Um, that uh, the, the mathematics of the law of time are not a decimal mathematics, but a vigisimal mathematics, that to properly understand the law of time and the true nature of time, we need to go to a mathematics that is not the same as the mathematics of space, that there is a mathematics of time, that as the fourth dimension, time is greater than and includes the third dimension that time the fourth dimension informs the third dimension that from the point of view of, of space, space is infinite and time is <laughs> unlocatable. <laughs> yeah, but from the point of view of time, space is an infinitely locatable point, which is your consciousness, that the evolution of time is the evolution of consciousness, the dynamics of the evolution of time are the evolution of consciousness, that consciousness is a property of stellar evolution. So that was Jose speaking about the law of time. And if you were a little confused, I would say that is fucking valid because admittedly reading a lot of Jose's work is pretty damn confusing. 
at times it reads a bit like if if your roommate who's done uh, too much DMT comes to you and says, hey, check out this graph of the universe I made, and you're trying to figure out if uh, you're stupid or if they're just fried and making this stuff up. But I have to give credit where it's due. Jose really goes into a lot of detail, and his theories are extremely interesting and colorful, and who knows, maybe I'm just stupid for not understanding them all the time. But I'm going to do my best, and I might not do it justice, but I'm going to do my best to try and explain um, how this whole law of time thing works. So let's give it a go. All right, Jose has two time ratios. One of those ratios is the flawed time ratio, which most of humanity currently uses. So that's the Gregorian 12-month calendar, 24-hour days, 60 minutes to an hour, 60 seconds to a minute, etc., etc. That first flawed, commonplace time ratio, he calls the 1260 ratio. And this ratio, uh, Jose believes, is equivalent to the phrase, time is money. And that's the inherent, hidden paradigm of the 1260 ratio. Then there's the ratio that Arguelles proposes as an alternative, the ratio that he believes is the correct and natural universal cosmic time ratio is the 1320 ratio slash frequency. Those are words that he uses interchangeably, ratio and frequency. The paradigm of this ratio, 1320, is the much more romantic and enjoyable time is art. Why these numbers? So the 1260 ratio refers again to the 12 month Gregorian calendar year and that year is obviously kept track of by the 60 second minute, 60 minute hour clock. And that's simple enough. Then the alternative ratio 1320 describes Jose's preferred calendar system, a lunar calendar, 13 moons or months, and 28 days per moon. The calendar also has one day which is theoretically completely outside of time. Or one could say that the day outside of time is a sacredly ordained day to pause, rest, and reflect on the time we've been given. But that's just a extremely simplified version of Jose's calendar. It is a complex fractal system that he derived from numerology, mathematics, and natural cycles. Jose even seemed to believe in the possibility of time travel, though I'm not going to get into that here, mostly because I don't fucking understand it. But let's not forget that ultimately all this is based around Arguelles' understanding of the Mayan calendar and its cycles of time, which cycles us right back to 1987. Where were we? Oh yeah, Harmonic Convergence. Harmonic Convergence, 1987, August 16th through 17th, or in Jose's system, the 22nd Magnet Moon, Year of the White Galactic Wizard. As I mentioned earlier, Jose believed that August 16th through 17th would be a cosmic shift, or the dawn of a new era, a very literal, quote, new age. 
Here's a quote from Jose in an interview where he describes how he came to believe that this date would be the dawn of the new age. Quote, this belief comes from a study of the Mayan calendar, which I discovered actually describes the passage of Earth and our solar system through a beam 5,125 years in diameter. We entered this beam in 3113 BC and leave the beam in 2012 AD. August 16th through 17th, 1987 marks the point in the beam when there is a break in the wave harmonics that this beam represents. The date also corresponds to prophecies concerning the return of the god slash hero Quetzalcoatl, as well as various other intertribal prophecies calling for 144,000 awakened sun dancers to dance the new age into being. And this is what Jose set about to do, putting out a massive publicity campaign to gather these sun dancers at various sacred sites across the globe. These dancers and prayer warriors were needed to prepare for the final 26 years of the 5,125 year long great Mayan cycle. Or so he said. More on that later. It would seem that after the 60s, the world was jaded and suspicious towards new spiritual visions for quite some time. But by the time Arguelles started gaining prominence in the 80s, the dialectic had swung yet again, and many were looking to rekindle their faith in something greater. Whatever Jose's marketing strategy around harmonic convergence was, it was extremely successful. On the day of the harmonic convergence, thousands showed up to various sacred and slightly less sacred sites around the world. Sites ranging from Mount Shasta, Chaco Canyon, the Pyramids of Giza, from Stonehenge to Central Park and Glastonbury. There was chanting, meditating, dancing, singing, humming, and of course, plenty of drum circles. There were indigenous elders, Sikhs, and Buddhists, and plenty of Caucasians dressed in Patagonia and beaded necklaces as well. This was the start of the crystal era, so one can be certain that a hell of a lot of rocks were arranged into sacred geometry by 20-somethings on acid. Everyone had joined together in anxious anticipation of the start of a new universe. A Washington Post article that I found regarding the Central Park Harmonic Convergence Group provides a nice little glimpse into one of the many sacred moments of the scene. Quote, soon after that, a petite short-haired woman in a long purple robe stood in the center of the sand circle. We're gonna make a conch ceremony, she said, holding her shell out toward the crowd. The others in the circle followed her lead. Slowly, they all raised their conch shells towards the sky, then lowered them, bowing slightly. When they blew on the shells, the sound was a little like a traffic jam on Columbus Avenue, or the sound of seals escaping the Bronx Zoo. You shouldn't announce the ceremony the woman with the drum announced to those seated around her. You just do it. If you announce it, it breaks the... She caught herself inside. That woman, she is so obnoxious. The conch wielders turned toward the rising sun once more. They already did that direction, muttered the drum lady. So as to what happened that night, for some, 
not much of anything. For others, it was likely a deeply revelatory experience. The same way that someone can be in the back of church thinking, what the fuck am I doing here? Meanwhile, there's someone in the front pew speaking in tongues and crying out to the Lord. The same thing with this event. Some people had deeply ecstatic, beautiful experiences, and others thought, well, this was a sham. To Jose's credit, he never said the world was going to be submerged in interdimensional light or that people would hear the great hissing of the cosmic serpent or anything that miraculous. In one interview I read, he mentioned that some people will feel deja vu or a profound sense of calm, and some may even see UFOs, or as they're called now, UAPs in the sky. But for most people, aside from the true believers, the harmonic convergence came and went like any other day. Some were disappointed, and others looked forward to life as the new timeline began. Harmonic convergence would be Jose's largest and most noteworthy media stint. After the convergence was over, he mostly faded away from the public eye, but that did not stop him from revealing his visions and offering up prophecies to all those who would listen. After 9-11, an event which Jose believed to be an omen of the end times, he wrote a book called Time and the Technosphere, The Law of Time and Human Affairs, a book which contains drawings of some truly weird and wonderful cosmographs, and is in my opinion a true hidden masterpiece of post-Delusian schizoanalysis and paranoid prophecy. Jose saw the world as being in transition between the biosphere and the new sphere. That's N-O-O-O sphere. The biosphere is the natural, organic, biological world of ancient humanity, and the new sphere is an ascended world in which a telepathically connected humankind becomes fully capable of connecting with the entirety of the sacred cosmos. In between this spherical dialectic is where he thought humanity was now, in what he called the Technosphere. This intermediate state is our hellish realm of artificial technology and civilization built upon illusory constructs. Here's Arguelles on 9-11 from Time in the Technosphere. The unbelievable shock of the moment and its simultaneous perception, coupled with the symbolism of what was actually occurring, effectively rendered the break in the historical continuum as a profound mental event, a rupture of 5,000 years of history from the first Babylon to the last. The witnessing of the event on television meant that it was received immediately into the nervous system of virtually the entire species. This in itself is a new spiric moment, the mental envelope of the earth made collectively and globally conscious in one instant of history, of shattering significance, and hence the genuine entry into post-history.
Well, the harmonic convergence, 9-11, and other events were supposedly significant shifts in humanity's evolution, according to Jose. For Arguelles, the true end of history, and perhaps the most significant evolutionary shift, was to occur in December 21st of 2012, the end of the Mayan calendar. Jose said a great deal of things about 2012 and the end of the calendar, though he never claimed that the world would be catastrophically destroyed like others did. But he did believe that humanity would begin its final transition, either fully ascending towards the new spear, he seemed to favor this interpretation, or splintering away into the dystopian depths of the technosphere. You probably have your opinions on which way humanity went after a relatively non-eventful December 21st of 2012, but Jose was never able to see the end of the Mayan calendar. That's because Arguelles passed away on March 22nd of 2011 from peritonitis. He was 73 years old. Some may simply think that Arguelles was a quack. Critics say that his interpretation of the Mayan calendar was based on non-Mayan sources, ranging from the I Ching to a magic square created by Benjamin Franklin. I don't think Arguelles was a quack or a fraud, at least not a harmful one. Despite the fact that Arguelles left the visual art world behind, I believe he was, at his core, an artist all the way through, and a much more interesting one than Picasso at that. I saw a quote on Instagram the other day. I'm not sure who said it, but it went something like this. Remember that you are given a piece of time, and you choose how to decorate it. So many of us feel oppressed by the clock. It's a prison that we proudly wear on our wrists in the form of expensive watches. We watch our hours waste away as we freely give our time to those who exploit the world and view time as little more than money. Jose was not content to live like this. He was not content to merely decorate time. So instead, he tore the whole damn thing down and rebuilt it from the ground up in accordance with his artistic and spiritual vision. Most of us only wish to be so bold. If I could say one thing here really quick as an aside, it's that you should really go check out his writings, his artwork, and his website, lawoftime.org. He was truly a bohemian eccentric that deserves more credit for being a brilliant outsider and a softly spoken eclectic hero. I hope this podcast gets at least a couple of folks to fall down his rabbit hole. But anyways, I guess the final lesson here is that no matter how much you attempt to repaint or rebuild time, it's still going to consume all of us one day. Whether it's in 1320 or 1260, time is heading your way. So go out and make that shit beautiful while you still can. Hey, I'm Isaac Hill, or you can call me Sack. But this is Mystical America, everyone. Have a great night.